You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. In 1966, American alligators were first considered endangered here in the U.S. And then in 1973, they were put on the Endangered Species Act. What can they teach us? Now, Angie did a great cover on why care. You know, an apex predator. It's, it's something that's critical to our ecosystems. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome back to the All Creatures Podcast. Hey, Angie. Hey, Chris. It's nice to see you and talk with you and uh, to do a pod today. I'm pretty excited to be here, be back. Back in the saddle again, they say. Yeah, I think everybody missed you. Most of all me, but <laughs> it was only a month. It was only a month and, and we planned for it. But yeah, if you just want to tell everybody how it's like you're just you're glowing. Your pictures are amazing, baby. We're doing alligator today for, for the gator baby that Angie just had. So I don't know if you want to fill people in. Yeah, well, uh, Gator's perfect. I actually had prepped most of this podcast, done all the research pretty much the night before we went into labor. We were scheduled to record, but I had gone into labor. So, uh, But it was exciting prepping for it because it was all about alligators. And we'll learn today about parenting. Uh, the alligator mom's pretty good, especially for a reptile. Uh, so yes, but no, my herd has grown since the last time I was on a podcast. So we had a beautiful, healthy baby boy named Maddox. And he's just brilliant. Absolutely a perfect addition to our family. John and I are just tickled pink. I guess I guess I should say tickled yes, blue yes, yes. for a boy. Not that it really matters though. So he can he can like pink, blue, green, whatever <laughs> he wants. <laughs> but yeah, it's he's a very easy, I want to say easy keeper, because that's what we talk about in horses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need a lot of food and they're pretty affordable, but, uh, he is, he's an easy keeper. He's just a happy baby and he sleeps pretty well. John and I are actually getting a fair amount of sleep at night, which was why I'm able to record with you this evening. And the boys, my other two boys are in love with him and they're great big brothers, which is very fun to watch them and their behavior in that role mm-hmm. and to see the evolution of it all. 
So I'm just madly in love with my whole family right now. Everybody's everybody's doing an awesome job. And of course, I have a lot of help, uh, neighborhood friends, family, all of that. So uh, yeah, it's good to be back. And, and I want to give a big shout out to all of our listeners that have been patient for us to get back with some fresh episodes. And thank you for supporting us. If it wasn't for a lot of awesome emails and uh, iTunes reviews and things like that, I uh, I probably wouldn't have the energy <laughs> to, or, the mo- or the momentum yeah. to necessarily keep going. But I know that animals need us here in 2020. Um, and the best thing that we can do for conservation is educate, educate one another, share this information. And Chris and I are going to be even better this year because now I have another son that hopefully will be a wildlife warrior to help protect creatures big and small, fluffy, furry, scaly, all of that. Uh, but all of us coming together in our, our, our community here, our wildlife conservation community is really important. So thank you to all the listeners. You guys are all heroes in my book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, it was, the interviews were great. The guests that we had on were great. Even the kids episodes that you recorded the month prior to, to Maddox showing. Oh, and I have more coming. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I had a, I had a few uh, kids reach out to me, so we will keep doing that because, as I said, it's this next generation that's going to help get us out of this mess that we're in, and I just really appreciate the youth and their enthusiasm, that's for sure. Absolutely, uh, and they're they're so fun, and they're so knowledgeable, you know. I know. They, they uh, I learn a lot, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially with the, the pork, because you and I haven't covered porcupines. No, not yet. Not so, yet. that yeah, that was a good yeah. one. Well, this week is alligators. It's perfect, you know, being there when, you know, at the University of Florida Gators, that's the mascot. So every baby born, my two boys are gator babies. Angie's three boys are gator babies. Must be something in the water there. A lot of boys. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was that simple. (laughs) But I, you know, Angie, I remember a day when I was teaching class in the evening and I was packing up the classroom and I had three students run in, Dr. Mortensen, Dr. Mortensen, there's a gator at the back door. And I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, Florida. So I literally walked down the hall and I looked out and it wasn't right at the back door, but I opened the door and I heard this hiss and I look and it was a small <laughs> yes. one. It was like three uh, feet, sure. you know, but I was just mm-hmm. laughing. I was like, oh my God, this is Florida. You know, gators are know. everywhere. They are, and coming and coming from the north, from Michigan, where we swim in Lake Michigan, which is a beautiful, salt-free, shark-free, gator-free <laughs> ocean, yeah. basically for the most part. And then we have a, a beautiful, beautiful inland lakes all throughout Michigan that we're able to to enjoy in the summertime with different recreational activities. So I had to really train my brain here when moving to Florida and being like, "Don't go near the water for the most part, or be careful, of course, just or just know." That there's a chance that if there's a body of water, no matter how big or small, there's probably an alligator in it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, and then of course on campus, and and we're we're like in North Florida, Florida. Yeah. So, and they still hang out here big time. And and when I was a student, they would find them sometimes in the horse stalls mm-hmm. at the horse teaching yep. unit <laughs> near our main campus, yes. because there's water. There, it's not a big body of water. But there's a body of water uh, near the horse farm. So, but Chris, even living in Florida and and being around them more, more frequently than I was obviously up north, 
I must say I had so much fun preparing for this podcast because I learned a lot. And besides being the largest reptile in the United States, the American alligator just has some really cool physiology and behavior. So, and and I learned a ton of facts that I didn't know ahead of time. So, anyways, it's going to be a good pod and and it's just perfect timing because my son Zachary kept asking me when I was going to hatch last <laughs> month. Before. <laughs> He's like, "Mom, you're pretty big. When are you going to hatch?" So, it, it makes the whole baby gator theme makes great sense. So, it's going to be fun today. It's funny when you mentioned that Angie because I remember moving to Florida and Jason, he was my grad student at the time, he just said, any body of water in Florida, you just assume there's a gator in it and you'll be safe. And it's not so much humans because to remind the listeners, alligators, it's less than one person a year are killed by alligators. It's really the dangerous pets, you know, other animals that are near the water line. So if you ever move to an area that has gators in it, you know, keep your, your dogs on leashes. Don't let them go up to bodies of water to drink, things like that, because that, that happens. The pets do get snatched quite a bit uh, throughout the south southern part of the United States. We find out where they range. So that's, that's more the danger. But, you know, they do occasionally attack people and, and accidentally kill them or purposely kill them. So that does happen. But it's ultra, ultra rare. It's very rare. It's very rare. Now, before we jump back into it real quick, just some shout outs. It's, it's been a month since Angie and I have been able to record, but I just want to say thank you to Casey, Henry, Sandy, and Amanda for joining us this month on Patreon. Thank you so much. Uh, Dan's still working on the website. Now that Angie's back, we're going we're gonna to kick it back into high gear. Uh, we, ha- we have things like searchable options we're working on. Uh, Dan actually has it broken down by categories now. So you can go in and look by, you know, amphibians and fish and mammals and birds. So you can go and look at some of our, our past episodes, but thank you so much. Again, we're actually, I have to, it reminds me, I will go and put up the, uh, where we're giving back to conservation. So we have to, to vote on conservation uh, organizations so we can send a check off. So anyways, thank you so much. You're given to us and we're giving back to conservation. So thank you. Yes. And I want to give a big shout out to uh, Christian Fuerness, Maddie and Emma E1626 for wonderful glowing reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate the kind words, the five stars, and it's comments like that, that once again, when I am tired late night or just in general helps Chris and I keep going. And, and we really appreciate you giving us help, giving us the boost on iTunes so that other listeners are more likely to find our podcast. Uh, since Chris and I, once again, it's a passion project. We don't really do any advertising or have any funding to do that. So by reviewing us and giving us five stars, that really helps give us a bump on iTunes. So thank you guys. Thank you. And Angie, I did take my eldest for his birthday to go see Godzilla versus King Kong. So it's uh, Life is semi-normal here in New Zealand. Sorry not to rub it into anybody. But describing this, Godzilla's more marine iguana looking. You know, that's where they kind of base his looks on, the new one. But I don't know. This one kind of looks like Godzilla. I mean, good luck, you know, describing an alligator. I guess, you know, most people kind of know what it looks like, but. Yeah, I think the biggest key is it's large. It's the largest reptile in the United States. 
Uh, and even though it is long and a big reptile, it has relatively short limbs uh, and a thick tail that helps it swim. And, and people always ask, well, what's the difference between a crocodile and an alligator? And I, and I think the biggest thing is their snout. If you're just like, if you just get a quick glimpse of one, alligators tend to have a more rounded or U-shaped wide uh, roof of their mouth, top jaw structure, whereas crocodilian species have more of a V snout or, or jaw um, and a little bit more narrow. And of course, it varies from species to species, but in general, that's a good way to be able to tell them apart. Because in the United States, we do actually have a crocodile species as well. But the American alligator is what is the most prominent. And it does. It just looks like a lizard. I mean, as a juvenile, the American alligator will start black with like yellow crossbands. Really, really pretty. And as they grow and grow into an adult and start to mature, uh, the yellow will fade and, and, it, and it becomes more of an olive black, dark brown color. So they really blend in and everybody's probably seen one with just the eyes and the snout sticking up out of the water or the bumps on the back. And they do, they look, they look like a, a log. So they really, really blend in to the brackish colored lakes uh, and rivers and waterways that tend to permeate through the Southeast United States. No, they are. They, they, they do get big and I mean, they can get, you know, on average uh, males are, 11 to 15 feet in length and they could weigh almost a thousand pounds or 450 kilograms. Whereas the females don't are, are definitely not quite as big. You know, they get up to almost 10 feet in length, but I, I know John's has one male and two females at the zoo. Um, at the Santa Fe yeah. college teaching zoo, they have a male and a female, male and, female. and mm-hmm, they were both surrendered due to uh, road strikes. So, Rainbow, the female, she's actually missing two limbs, and uh, so, but they're big. And but he's when you when you see them side by side, you can definitely tell who's the male because he's so much more robust. Yeah, definitely sexual dimorphism there. Now, the largest alligator ever recorded in Florida was seventeen and a half feet, but the largest ever recorded or found was nineteen feet three inches. They found it in Louisiana. So, wow, pretty big. Yeah, that's now, big. not, you know, crocodiles get a little bit bigger. The salties and the Niles, they can get up to 20 feet mm-hmm. long, weigh almost twice that, you know, almost a ton or, or 2,200 pounds. The one we haven't mentioned yet, Angie, and I know we're, we're going to in this podcast, obviously we're going to cover more of the American alligator, but there is another species of alligator, the Chinese, right? Yes, Chris. And that's actually would be, I went on several... <laughs> tangents uh, when I was prepping this podcast, but the Chinese alligator is found in Eastern China and it's critically endangered, like maybe a hundred left. And I, I didn't know this. Uh, Obviously you and I are not reptile experts. So all of our, all of our herp friends out there or reptile experts like Corbin Maxey, got to give him a shout out. Give a shout out here in a second. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I always follow him on Instagram. Instagram, well, his handle's at Corbin Maxi. But he has his he does so many amazing educational videos with his alligators, Chompers and Sunny. Mm-hmm. So I definitely this episode has to go to Chompers, Sunny, and then uh, the other 
American alligators. I love uh, Rainbow and Brutus at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. But Chris, I had no idea that first of all, there was a Chinese alligator. So that's why we do this podcast because we learn. And but then more importantly, that how critically endangered it is. And I mean, there are there are a lot there are lots of movements to try to help uh, save it, uh, save its habitat, reintroduce uh, captively bred Chinese alligators to their native area. And it is protected in China. It's considered one of the fifteen uh, precious and rare species uh, to help try to conserve it. But it's just even with all this care and attention. It's still in trouble uh, due to habitat loss, some illegal poaching. So it just was really shocking to me because in the United States, the American alligator is actually a really awesome and hopeful conservation story, right? Yeah. In 1966, American alligators were first considered endangered here in the U.S. and then in 1973, they were put on the Endangered Species Act. So a whole bunch of uh, restoration, conservation laws, right? We passed a whole bunch of laws to protect them from illegal hunting, things like that. And they bounced. (laughs) There are, the American alligator is no longer on uh, the Endangered Species Act. And a lot of the rebound is actually thanks to uh, farming them and getting illegal poaching and hunting and all of that under control and it being regulated, right? So it's a great example of both sides of the aisle, policymakers coming together and saying, hey, we need these guys in the wild. They are a critical part of the ecosystem. They are pretty much like walking dinosaurs that have been around for forever and we cannot we cannot let them go extinct here in the U.S. So in less than, let's see, 73, 60, uh, 50 years, 60 years, uh, we've really been able to clean up our act over here as far as getting their numbers up to, I don't know if it's historic numbers of alligators in the south southeast, but definitely they're not endangered. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. As Chris mentioned, they're, they're hanging out at the back door of the <laughs> yeah. university and in horse stalls yeah, yeah, yeah. and in people's backyards and on golf courses. So yeah. And, and so anyways, I've just, I really, um, I am hopeful that we can get this message out and people can start paying more attention to the uh, Chinese alligator. No. Yeah, no, it is. And it, it, it gives us a lot of hope too. So like, Last week was kind of doom and gloom, the, the the one I did solo, Angie, talking about where we are in conservation because there are a lot of concerns. But there has been success stories like this where species have come back when you have political will and public will to bring them back from, from the brink. So the American alligator, another species in the United States that has been able to, to rebound. Now, talking about ranges, so... Today, where they're ranging is, so if you're looking at the United States, it's the southeastern portion of the United States. Texas is kind of the the big state in the middle. You go all the way through the south along the coast there, and then up a little bit into South Carolina, North Carolina, which is just north of of Florida, the the, the thing hanging off the United States there. So that's where they, that's their (laughs) natural range. Now we do have two I know of in Idaho, 
<laughs> so at Corbin's right. place, it's Corbin. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and those are rescues. So those are those are alligators that Corbin has personally rescued, and he's caring for and educating people on. So he didn't go down to the south and take them and transport them to Idaho. He actually rescued them. And is you got to follow him on Instagram. He's doing an amazing job with them. He has video. He's so awesome. yeah, the alligator house. Now Angie did a great cover on why care. You know, an apex predator. It's it's something that's critical to our ecosystems. Before we signed off, you know, with with our last species, we were talking about freshwater species in decline. Had an amazing interview with Shoal talking about that. Again, this affects gators too, who live in our freshwater ecosystems in the United States and North America. And just briefly that it's an amazing interview. You want to go listen to it. It's just this dramatic decline in freshwater fish species. Just last year, 16 freshwater fish species were declared extinct. It's, you know, there's, there's more freshwater fish than there are in the oceans different species that yeah yeah that fact is really i had no idea i would uh, that's fascinating but also goes to show how important it is to take care of our fresh water yeah yeah it's insane it's insane it's insane so you know it's 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 worth a listen to and you could just imagine this is affecting crocodilians you know that live in freshwater systems in australia and parts of southeast asia and then obviously in africa with the nile crocodile and and all of them right i mean even south america you have those other crocodilian species that i'm going to cover in a second in evolution so running evolution you know again like you said reptiles class reptilian of the reptiles there's 11,341 species that we know obviously wow, discovering okay. More, they discovered 145 species last year, or classified 100. Stop it! Yeah, yeah. So it's just speeding up, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Before they go extinct, I guess, or find out ones we want to save. Right. Yeah. Now, alligators fall into the crocodilia order, and then the family is Alligatidae, and within the family Alligatidae, there's actually four different genres. So the genus alligator is the American alligator and the Chinese alligator. So the scientific name is alligator Mississippiensis, which nice. we've covered that. I, I, it rings a bell, Mississippiensis. I know there's another species we covered, I think, with Mississippiensis in it. You're talking to mom. Yeah, I know. Over oh, here. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. And then the Chinese alligator is alligator sinensis. But you do have the other genre has the dwarf caiman, the smooth-footed caiman, and then the the speckled caiman, browed snouted caiman, the black caiman, the yakari caiman. So those are spread across three genera. So mm-hmm. caimans are actually under the family alligator day. So there you go. There you go. And that's South American, yeah, right? Yeah, Cayman Cayman, South yeah, American. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm thinking all these freshwater ecosystems, you know, yeah, we are worried about them in, in the Americas, you know, South America and North America. Mm-hmm. Then you have all the freshwater ecosystems in Africa affecting, you know, these large reptiles. And then Southeast Asia, you know, from right. India over, yeah, not oh, just yeah. South, Central Asia over, 
you know, mm-hmm. where these, these types of animals live. Just quickly, I mean, there's so many, like, talking about that, Angie, so many crocodiles, like you said, the American crocodile, there's the New Guinea crocodile, the Philippine crocodile, obviously the Nile and saltwater, which we've talked about, the Cuban crocodile, West African crocodile, the dwarf crocodile. So they are everywhere in these freshwater ecosystems. Now, just briefly review, because it's always fun to talk about reptiles. It's been a while since we've talked about one. I always love the fact that reptiles came before dinosaurs. Yes. And I learned, actually, uh, it was early Easter morning and my oldest got up. So uh, he, I had him come, come lay with me for a little while. And we were watching a dinosaur video. Yeah. And it was off facts, of course. And one of the facts I stated... I hope you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it said that dinosaurs are actually closer on the phylogenetically tree, more closely related to yes. birds right now, currently here that are you know, our modern day bird than crocodiles and alligators. Yeah, Is that absolutely true? true? It's absolutely true. Yeah, we we covered. I was like trying to sleep. I'm like, oh, I need to go back to sleep. <laughs> so early. It's like five thirty in the morning, and uh, yeah, and then and, and I'm like, wait, what? And I, it's so funny. I took, I, I grabbed the phone from him. I'm like, wait, let me back that up. Is that is that what's going on here? So that's how we started off our Easter morning. You know, you're a dork, an animal dork, when... <laughs> or dinosaur yeah. dork, right? Yeah. It's it's so true. So reptiles, it is okay. Reptiles date back 315 million years ago. Amphibians are older at 370 million years ago. Okay. Dinos- due to the classification system set up hundreds of years ago, when they started classifying animals, like in the 1800s, dinosaurs got roped into reptiles based on fossil mm-hmm. evidence. And then that's where you used to think, you know, oh, they were reptiles when they really weren't. They are more closely related to birds because dinosaurs are thought to be warm-blooded, not cold-blooded. They had feathers, mm-hmm. and we know birds okay. came from dinosaurs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we go back. That's why I went back. We are actually reptiles. Like, we have the reptilian brain, but mammals originated from reptiles. So, we all go back to them, and then we go back to amphibians before that. Crazy. Yeah. So Hylonomus was the the first uh, reptile lived, like I said, over over 300 million years ago. It it uh, was only about 10 inches long. It looked like a modern lizard. Like so, that was like the the first thing we can find in the geological record. Now, crocodilians, because remember, alligators fall under this. First mm-hmm. arrived around 245 million years ago. Okay. And uh, Again, they survived the fourth mass extinction 200 million years ago. And that was the the one where it just, you know, again, 75% or greater of all species died out. So that was a very, very scary time, but crocodilians survived. Now, what we know about modern alligators and crocodiles today, they, they emerged about 90 million years ago. It's nuts. Alligators on their own emerged about 80 million years ago. And what's crazy is they haven't changed much over the last 30 million years. That pretty much. Because 
They're doing it yes. right. They're amazing. Yes. They're amazing predators. Yes. In fact, alligators today have not changed over the last 8 million years. They've been the exact same for 8 million. Wow. They have not had to evolve or change or alter anything that you're right. What they have, these hunting patterns that they do, living out of the, in the water, the areas of the, the, the world that they live, obviously their, their migration is going to change a little bit like during the ice age. They were probably further south and then migrated more north. But physically, they have not changed much in 8 million years, which is insane because yeah. not many species well, that's what, can hold that. No, that's why it was fun going through the physiology and the behavior and yeah, just so unique and just amazing. I mean, they do, I, I always do think they look like walking dinosaurs or you know, smaller dinosaurs, but I know now that when I look at birds, I should think. That's more of a dinosaur I know. than an alligator. It's, I think it's just popular media culture, you know, that we've had it drummed into us that dinosaurs were reptilian or looked like reptiles, when in fact they mm-hmm. have they weren't. They weren't. So they're more bird bird like, which is crazy. All right, this is my favorite slide of the whole podcast. Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I put my seatbelt on. All right, so we know hooves and horns, right? Angie's favorite. Mm-hmm. How about a hooved crocodile? <laughs> that would be cool. So there was a species of crocodile that was hooved, and it was Planocranidae. Lived it was about hmm. 10 feet long, lived about 65 million years ago, but it had like little hooves on its feet so it could run and track down prey. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like a hooved crocodile. I found that. I love it. Oh, God, I just, like you said, somebody needs to go back and do, do a TV show of all these insane <laughs> yes. creatures that have lived. You can't make this stuff up, right? Yeah, in between dinosaurs and what we have today. Just so many amazing species. So many amazing species. Now, just some fun facts about alligators. I mean, on average, live to be about 50 years old, which is pretty, pretty long. I mean, pretty long. Yeah, it's incredible. The oldest alligator in the world currently lives in the Belgrade Zoo okay, in Serbia. It arrived at the zoo in 1936 as an adult. So they believe it's at least 84 years old, but probably closer to older, be older than 86 years old. So, wow, that's yeah. <laughs> so, Corbin, <laughs> if you're listening, buddy, <laughs> yeah, you better put them in your uh, your will. Your, what would that be? <laughs> Thank yeah. you, yeah. darn mom yeah. brain. Their will for sure. Wow, wow, yeah, that's incredible. That is a long time. That is a long time. So, obviously, alligators don't make good pets, you don't want them as pets at all. Corbin does no. not use them as pets, they are educational animals, and he rescued them. So, Corbin, when you're an old man, I can't wait to see you on Instagram or whatever social media we have in 50 years or 40 years. <laughs> With Chompers and Sunny. Oh, my God. It's amazing. He's going to look tired. Like, why did I do this? <laughs> All right. Here's a question. Do you think you can outrun an alligator on land? Ooh. I just have to zigzag, right? Is that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. I think they're fa- I think they're faster than me, which is <laughs> that doesn't say a lot. I I tried to do my first jog, which technically I'm supposed to wait six weeks. Mm-hmm. But it's just such beautiful weather here in Florida and I just I needed to get out. So my pup, Rainbow and I, uh we hit the we hit the trail 
and we did the, we did a 5k and an alligator would definitely have been able to catch up with us it was very slow <laughs> and now i'm very sore uh, i'm paying for it a little bit oh. today uh so but that's why i i don't know maybe it's a myth but i always heard that you can run zigzag and they can't do tight corners or something well you when you watch true? them they you know they use that tail to propel them on land so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the alligators can run on land about 11 miles per hour or 18 kilometers per hour. Okay. okay. Now, Usain Bolt can outrun an alligator. His top speed is 27 miles per hour. Okay. Angie, not so much. <laughs> well, the average, the average human is 15 miles per hour. So okay. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I maybe just stay out in front of it. I think my Fitbit was telling me I was like, mm, I hate to admit it on air, but like, I was, think I was jogging 12 minute miles. So there you okay, go. Okay. Okay. You could just be out in front of it. <laughs> I am postpartum though. I have, to, <laughs> I have to throw that in there. And it's not even about, for me, it's just about getting out, getting time yes. away, self care, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, fresh air. So now uh, you just have to be faster than the slowest person. That's what they always say, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, Chris, I've missed you. I've missed this podcast. It's so fun. Okay. Now, can you outswim an alligator? I was on the swim team, but I wasn't a sprinter. I was a distance swimmer. I, I swam the uh, 200 and the 500 right. yard race. So I think with that tail... I'm still going to say no. I don't think I can outswim right. them. I, I I wouldn't want to find out. How about okay, that? The fastest human in water is about six miles per hour. Okay. Alligators can swim up to 20 miles per hour or 30, oh, 32 okay, good. kilometers yeah, per hour. Wow. Yeah. So no, <laughs> you can't outswim mm -hmm. an alligator. Absolutely no, not. Yeah. That powerful <laughs> tail, that is their environment. So yeah, no, you can't outswim one. And I don't know if I haven't heard of any stories of an alligator like chasing down a human in the water, you know, they're more ambush predators. No. So anyways, yeah. just on land though, if, if you were concerned, you'd have to sprint pretty hard if they were chasing you, which, you know, again, they really don't. Most of the gators, like anytime you walk near the water, they, they just bolt straight into the water. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 They're definitely more afraid of you than you yeah, are of them, but, but still they do have predator instinct and they're very territorial. Yes. We'll talk about yeah as well and during breeding season sometimes when they're seeking out a mate things like that it's uh definitely want to steer clear that's when they're on the move in florida i mean that's when they're walking across exactly. campus and and yeah <laughs> they're outside by your truck saying hey now fun facts cold tolerant more so than crocodiles so okay that's so why we see them farther north you know, you, you yeah, because they go up into Georgia, right? right? Yeah. South Carolina, yeah, up into mm -hmm. Arkansas, so that, that it can snow there. I mean, it does snow there sometimes, so it does drop a little. I just saw a thing on social media. <laughs> I don't know if it's yeah. true. I didn't fact check it, but of alligators when the water freezes on these cold snaps or really cold weather, they will like freeze with their snout sticking out of the water. Well, so they can breathe. Yeah, they go through brumation. So we've talked about that before with, with other species mm -hmm. where they slow their metabolism way down, their body slows way down. So they're, they just live off body reserves. Oxygen is very low. Use is very low. So they're able to survive when it's, it's colder. 
we see it like when we get a cold snap in Florida. Remember, they they would all these invasive reptiles would be falling out of trees. Yes, you know, and they're sure. like people are picking them up and they're just frozen solid, not frozen solid like fro like a, a freezer, but like they feel they look like they're frozen solid because their bodies are just in in brumation. They they just they don't have the the energy to to run away like they normally would, and that's mm-hmm. because cold blooded animals are ectothermic. So they can't regulate their body temperature. So that is why you see reptiles or especially alligators on the banks of rivers and lakes sunning themselves, which they're absorbing the sun's energy and warming up. That helps their metabolism so they can digest food, you know, restore, build muscles back up, all of those things. Now, on the other, on the flip side, which is always interesting when you see gators just sitting there with their mouths open like panting yeah that's because they're hot Mm -hmm. so they're trying to cool off you know generally they'll go in the water and drop down some layers to cool off if they need to but if they're out on a bank and you see their mouths open it's not like they're really ready to strike they're actually cooling off like a dog panting well chris before we jump into nutrition and what they eat we have to talk about their most famous feature which is their jaws and their teeth. So the American alligator in general has about 80 teeth and they're the same size, but because of their diets and just their strike when they bite, they'll break teeth or they get worn down or fall out and they're rapidly replaced like shark teeth uh, throughout its lifetime. And an adult alligator, I don't know about that old one uh, living at the zoo, but on average, they say an alligator can have about 2,000 to 3,000 teeth throughout its lifetime that have been grown in, broken off, and replaced. So they've clearly evolved to be these intense predators that use their teeth and jaws to catch prey. And, of course, their jaw is crazy powerful. Um, do you have the, what's the the bite force? Yes, I got some of the data here. So now crocs, 5,000 PSI, saltwater crocs, 3,700 PSI. The alligator is around 3,000 PSI. And then, then you have hippos at 1,800. Ja- I just, I love this stuff. So I wrote some of it down. Jags, 1,500. <laughs> such dorks. Gorilla, yeah. 1,300. Polar bear, 1,200. So just to give you an idea, but yeah, 3,000. It's very powerful. I mean, this like, can crush turtle shells. I mean, very powerful. But what I found fascinating reading about the, the bite force and their jaws is they have, of course, these crazy powerful muscles that evolve to chomp down, right? Chompers bite down on prey. But the muscles that actually open the jaws are relatively weak. So that's why if you are doing an alligator procedure or something in the in the wildlife industry or at a zoo, you can, once their jaw is closed, uh, a human can actually pretty much hold their jaw shut barehanded. Kids, don't try no, this at home. No. Corbin, <laughs> don't try that at home. No. no well, and, yeah, and what trying. I think, well, yeah, and I think what a lot of the professionals do, once again, I'm not um, an alligator uh, wrangling expert, so don't quote me. But I, a lot of times they'll, they'll like, uh, if it's in a procedure or they're moving it or something, they'll use duct tape mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to keep it uh, when they're being handled or transported or things like that. So, but I just found that really fascinating that 
closing down is so, so, so powerful. But yeah, then that's where all the energy and muscles went into, whereas opening up, they are not as strong. So no, no, no. But yeah. do not do not wrestle an alligator at home. Don't no. say Angie and Chris <laughs> no. said that I could just hold their mouth <laughs> shut. No. No, 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 no. Well that's something you don't that's something you don't want to test. We'll just we'll just take the internet's at face uh, value that that's true. <laughs> <laughs> now these are more ambush predators. They they hunt mostly at dusk or during the night. I mean they they lay motionless in the water. And then as an animal comes up to drink or a bird lands in the water or a turtle sitting there unknown, it comes and just snap with those powerful jaws. Mm -hmm. And generally they, they swallow it whole. They, their diet varies. I mean, it depends on the size of the gator too, but like fish, frogs, uh, deer, wild hogs, uh, other alligators, sometimes small, you know, other small mammals. Mm -hmm. They, they, a very, very, a very diverse diet. Now, if mm -hmm. the prey is too big, so say, you know, like a white tailed deer or, or something like that, they will actually drown it and then stash it in, in logs or somewhere underwater where the, once the flesh starts to, to rot and it gets soft enough, they'll go and t tear chunks off you know, mm -hmm. and spin and do all the things that they do, um, to get mm -hmm. meat and then just swallow it whole, you know, again, that teeth Angie was talking about, it's more for crushing and gripping prey, not chewing, you know, it's, it's not like other species like us. We have molars that help us crunch and chew and stuff. So, so they don't. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of their ability to take down prey is often from drowning yeah. it. Uh, but it's, fascinating if you've ever seen a wildlife documentary or uh, video uh, of an adult alligator performing what's called the death roll. Mm -hmm. And that's where they will grab the prey with one bite, um, rather large prey typically, and then they spin over and over and over in the water. And just to add to what Chris was saying, this uh, behavior where they spin is called the death roll. And they will do it sometimes to drown the prey, but then also after the prey has decomposed a lot more, the spinning behavior will help them tear off or rip off chunks easier. So if you've watched a nature documentary video and seen this behavior, it's, it is quite fascinating and, and uh, intimidating if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> Scary absolutely. if you ask me. <laughs> No, for sure. And and then on the flip side, generally humans are the only thing that, that would are really danger to adult alligators or other mm -hmm. alligators. They get in fights and things like that, you know, especially territory. But when they're younger, raccoons, birds, some fish, turtles, snakes will all eat alligators. So when they're younger, it's mm -hmm. it's it's a much more difficult, treacherous landscape out there for them until they become that top apex predator. And then it's pretty much, you know, nothing will mess with them. Now, it, a fun one, if people have seen this and, and we probably will, I think we talked about in the Jags episode, but Jaguars do go after adult caimans, you know, but caimans are smaller. I've seen a yeah. video before. It's incredible. Yeah, they, they captured that whole, uh, I think it was a juvenile uh, male or something, but yeah, he was hunting that caiman and, you know, so they're not top dog down there in South America. 
the the other crocodilians. But in in the southeast United States, once it's an adult, there's nothing else out there that that's going to take them down. the The Florida panther does not hunt big alligators. So, no, they're trying to survive. Yeah. <laughs> they're, their numbers are, they're endangered. They're, they're, uh, they're trying to stick around. So right, right. no, that that's definitely not their natural prey. No. But speaking of their hunting ability, something I learned about the American alligator is that they have something called the integumentary sense organ. And these are receptors that are in the jaws and scales of the alligator. And they basically help the alligators sense movement in the water or tell when prey are near their teeth and also help them identify like what type of prey they have in their jaw at a certain time. So it's really, really interesting. I I had no idea that they're able to pick up on the water movements Mm -hmm. and uh, that they basically had these nerve endings in this organ to help them be so delicate, delicately sense what they had in their mouth and if something was close to their mouth and things like that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Yeah, they are. They are. And again, you know, less than one person a year is, is, is killed by alligators. It's just, it is rare um, versus like say crocodiles and stuff in other parts of the world. So. Yeah, Chris. And that's a great lead into basically their activity and behavior is that they're really most active in the spring when it's their breeding season. Uh, But then they're going to be found diurnally. So during the day, um, basking a lot of times, just as Chris mentioned, trying to heat up their body by laying in the sun somewhere. Uh, And then, and then as they get warm during the day, they'll move, they'll move into the water and help regulate their temperature that way. So they're not typically seen on land a lot. Um, but they will come a land, on land, as Chris mentioned, to move um, from one water mm-hmm. source to the next mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And when they, and gators, of course, are primarily aquatic animals, but when they are on land, they do have what the movement's called like a high walk because they really, they can move on all fours and their tails drag on the ground. So they cannot stand on their hind legs and walk as a, there's a myth out there. Um, that they can maybe like go upright. Now, when they are when they are having an interaction with with, uh, uh, with another male, like if they're fighting, they can definitely thrust up, of course. Uh, but the this, these interactions are usually happening in the water and things like well, that. So they can climb very well, very well, and that's one of the things in Florida. Real quick, just to jump in, it's you do see them up against fences. So one of the things I remember with, with NASA going around uh, Cape Canaveral and all the fences you can see has the curve outward. That's to keep gators out because, Correct. yeah, I mean, it is a natural reserve where Cape Canaveral is. One of the, my most favorite places to visit in Florida, if you ever get there, go to the Cape. It is amazing. But, you know, and they do protect all the wildlife, but like around the buildings and all these things, you know, off the launch pad, it's all these fences that are curved outwards to keep gators from climbing over the fences. So, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. And they are, and they are territorial and that's where some of their aggression or probably where some human or dog interactions can happen. And the research shows that typically you're going to find male alligators in open waters where the females, 
will only really go into open waters during mating season when she's looking for a partner. And then as they grow and get bigger, they're more likely, of course, to, to venture deeper into the waters and, and lakes and things like that. Uh, whereas smaller alligators may be found more close to shore, which isn't a bad thing for us humans because typically, as Chris mentioned, if they are near the water's edge and they see us, they're just going to jump into the water. They don't really want, yeah, they don't want anything to do with us. And when it comes to their social status, alligators are interesting. Typically, the large male alligators are going to be solitary and territorial, right? Uh, um, however, smaller alligators can sometimes be found together, and groups of American alligators can be found together getting along. And these groups are called congregations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so I thought that was cute. And of course, juveniles, hatchlings are going to be more social than adults. Uh, and the hatchlings want to stay together because, well, there's benefits in numbers when it comes from uh, when it comes to predators. It's funny you talk about congregation. I just it cracks me up when, when uh, the group of animal names. So when they're together, I, I know I got hissed at, you know, and and. I remember seeing, and maybe it's in Repro too, like the males, the the bubbling, like they can really reverberate. I don't know how you say it, but the, you know, vocalize in the water. That's like insane. So it's yeah. yeah, Chris. These guys are amazing communicators and so awesome. So they definitely have loud sounds that humans can hear: bellowing, grunting, hissing, uh, which you came across things like that. And so these are going to be like airborne communications, right? And all those are going to be audible sounds that us humans can hear. But American alligators also have what are known as infrasonic sounds. So sounds that are not within the human range. They're in the low, they're like too low, lower limit, and we can't hear them. And some of these sounds are airborne that the male alligator will make during breeding season because he doesn't have any vocal cords. So he'll make this bellowing infrasonic sound that's loud and deep. And it basically tells any other males in the area, like, get out of here. And the alligator can also send these infrasonic signals through the water because they're sound waves. It's just more difficult to communicate infrasonically through water uh, than it is through air. So a lot of times when they are making these bellows and they want them to go through the water, they'll do additional behaviors such as tail slaps, head slaps, things like that to also create sound and detour uh, typically other alligators from coming into their territory. So just really, really, really fascinating vocal creatures that that make sounds that we can hear and then sounds that only other alligators can hear. So pretty cool. And of course, they're going to be all jazzed up and making a lot more of these sounds during their breeding season, uh, which is going to start in April and last through June. And so that's, and as a Florida resident, that's when you need to be extra careful being around waterways, right? Because they are more territorial. They're looking for a mate and, and they're, they're no nonsense, right? And as I mentioned, males in general during breeding season try to ward off other males either by making these bellowing infrasonic sounds or lunging towards them with their mouth open, hissing, all sorts of aggressive behaviors. But what's really interesting is in the late spring, it's been reported that male alligators will come together to form bellowing choruses. 
So this is large groups of males together a few times a day trying to attract females. And as the American alligator is bellowing his little heart out, he's also making these powerful bursts of like infrasonic sounds to help attract females. And one of my all-time favorite courtship behaviors is a male alligator water dance. So he's making these bellows and reverberating sound into the water. And the sound waves are moving the water over his back because he's towards the surface in such this way that droplets of water are shooting out of the air over his back. Mm-hmm. It is just the coolest, most unique thing. And I'm so, I mean, if I was a female, I would, it's like the Bellagio. <laughs> the <laughs> Take me to Las Vegas, you know? I mean, it's like, who doesn't love a water show, right? I mean, there's not, it's not really, it's not like Disney or the Bellagio with lights and all yeah. that music. But my gosh, if you're a female alligator, I mean, that's really, really impressive. Right, right. So, yeah, the, 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 do this water dance and it's just, I'll have to find a video. Um, I watched one on YouTube uh, prepping for this. It's just, it's just incredible. Um, and of course the females hear the sound and, you know, help decide who, who they want to breed with, but just really cool stuff. And once a female is bred, um, she'll tend to nest in the same areas in general and she'll build her nest by picking out, leaves and mud and vegetation debris uh and she'll use her tail to help gather things because she actually doesn't use her mouth i thought that was pretty fascinating uh and and she's not going to go too far away she's what um a co-worker of mine used to always say work smart not hard so she's not going to go too far away to retrieve material she's going to use what's around uh where she wants to build her nest I always remember that the, the nesting behavior, if that's like, don't, you know, if you do run into a big nest, be careful around there because they are aggressive and, de- and, de- oh, yeah. and defend it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, and I couldn't find a, a statistic on if it was more males or more females that um, like the attack humans. Uh, but yeah, I mean, cause the, the males get a bad rap cause they're so big and all of this, but no females that are, uh, bred and nesting and, or, and are protecting young, which we'll talk about in a second are, can be very aggressive. Right, right, so, right. and the female will typically build her nest somewhere near water, the water's edge, um, definitely somewhere damp because the eggs are very sensitive. And when it's time, the female will lay several eggs, um, anywhere from like two to 50, uh, and she may even produce more than one clutch depending on her nutritional status uh, that season and the time of year. And once the egg is laid in the nest, um, it's incubated for about two months, up to 70 days. She doesn't actually lay on it, like if you think of a chicken on a chicken egg or something like that, um, but instead she stays really close by and she'll fend off any egg stealers like raccoons or be aggressive if a person happens to be in the way. And now when alligators are born, they're super darling. They're about 65 grams. And to help a baby alligator get out of its shell, it has an egg tooth that will help poke through uh, the shell. And they're pretty much good to go once they're born, right? Um, They're reptiles. However, what really sets American alligators apart from other species of reptiles, and not all of them because we're learning more and more about different parenting behaviors, but... 
American alligators will usually spend the first year of their life with their mothers until they become completely independent. And she'll exhibit parental care. The male doesn't really invest in the offspring at all once they're born. He will stay near the nest, usually during incubation, just to once again help ward off any predators or other males or things like that. So I think it's just really cool. There's a lot of documentation of a female with her hatchlings. Um, Sometimes you'll see them on her back, on her head even. I mean, she's definitely recognizes them as her kin and she protects them the best of her ability. They stick around the nest or they stay in groups in one area. And I was super lucky um, two years ago to go out in an airboat, um, not in the Everglades, but in a lake in Southwestern Florida and near the Naples area. And I saw a clutch of baby alligators. We stayed pretty far away. So my photos aren't that great, but, uh, and we knew mama was probably somewhere around and we were in a boat, of course, uh, leaving them alone, but it was so cool. I was like, this is just amazing to see them all together. Just the hatchlings. I didn't see them riding mom's back or anything like that, but that is, Definitely strikingly different than a lot of reptiles. Like if you think of sea turtles, yeah. right? They hatch and they're gone. just good luck. <laughs> good luck. Uh, but what's really interesting too is for American alligators, it takes them a while to reach sexual maturity mm-hmm. and between, between 10 and 20 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So them spending a year with mom is really important to help them survive, to make it and to be more of a juvenile and then ideally an adult alligator because they can be preyed upon when they're that small. So just amazing parental care. And that's why I'm, you can call me a gator mama. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of them for a year. Yeah, for a year. Yeah, no. It's more like <laughs> just 20, kidding. 30, 40. Uh, according, according to my mom, it's forever. Yep, yep, so yep. Uh, yes. Um, but Chris, I think it's also important to note too, that uh, the eggs when they're laid are temperature dependent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about this before. I know in sea turtles and other episodes, but basically the sex is determined about 20 to 20, 25 to 30 days after the eggs have been laid. And so a female hatchling is going to happen when the temperature is 31 degrees Celsius or below. Whereas a male is going to be formed if the incubation temperature is 33 degrees Celsius or higher. At 32 degrees, it's an even ratio. Okay. So something to think about with climate change, right? Um, right. There's, I mean, as I love my own boys. I'm, I'm wondering if my, if it's maybe it was hot in my house the past seven <laughs> years or something. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. these boys, but with and all jokes aside, but with global climate change, uh, I mean, we we need female alligators. We we don't just want boy alligators. That's just male alligators. It does not help us. So these uh, scientists are really concerned about some of these issues with the reptiles that uh, sex ratio is determined by temperature. So it's something we have to keep an eye on. I, uh, I did jump into dorky science. I was like, yeah, go back to my repro stuff. I still think women that like work out like you, you're active, you're out there all the time might have a little bit more testosterone in your body that tend to have more males because evolutionary speaking, your body, they're, you know, women that were 
just think about it. Wait, wait, this is such a long discussion. I'm sorry, listeners. Oh, I, well, I have, I have two points. I'm very fascinated by the topic, so I have two points to add. Well, so. think about evolutionary speaking. Mm-hmm. 10,000 years ago, women that were more active, producing more testosterone in their body, they're probably needing more male help to hunt, protect, you know, thinking about wild humans before we really settled down. Whereas women that were more sedentary, you know, cooking the fires, helping keep the kids safe back in the caves, you know, would produce more women, you know? So I, I just have this thing well, that yeah, I, I, just, well, I have a hypothesis. Well, with that, Hoofstock, they talk about yeah. uh, in times of plenty. So when your nutritional status is high, mm-hmm. that more males are thrown yeah. uh, because – you can do that. Like a male can just keep, man, can can just keep churning out a million yeah. kids or not a million, but you know, yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. more, a lot more offspring. But when times are tight, so in a nutritional, in a status of poor nutrition, uh, when times are tight or lean, hoofstock are going to throw females because like you might only have one baby your whole life. Uh, right. And a female is really important to then, keep, I guess, I don't know if pass on your genes, but that then she can have more babies or something. I don't know, something right. like that. I, to, keep, to keep the population going. Yeah. You know, it's late at night for you yes. <laughs> to get these But now, and so I, that's always been a, a somewhat of a philosophy, but my dear friend, Anna, uh, my, yeah. my, my peer and colleague and uh, fellow grad student uh, and dear friend, she just sent me a paper the other day in mice where they were manip- manipulating diets and, uh, mice that were fed more of a fat, fatty type diet mm-hmm. through males, and mice that were fed a non-fat diet but more carb starch oriented through females. So I wrote her back, and of course this is in mice, you know, so it's right, you can't right. always extrapolate. Uh, and one study, but I wrote her back, and I was like, "So you're telling me instead of like trying to eat healthy, like eggs and avocado, I could have been eating." <laughs> Olive Garden breadsticks this whole pregnancy. <laughs> or I, I could have been eating, I'm sorry. More uh, carbs, yeah, yeah, I, more pasta. Yeah, I could have been eating more carbs and pasta to like help me get a girl. Like, geez, Louise. Now, well, now you, you were tell planning. me. This this was a non-planned. Well, that's <laughs> sorry, true. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, there is that as well, <laughs> which is doesn't speak very well for a reproductive uh expert but at any rate uh so no no i mean us science dorks nutrition dorks repro dorks love to kind of think we know why things are the way they are but uh in the animal world we we do know with reptiles that the sex ratio is very very temperature dependent and 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 yeah what parts of that are related to humans and stuff we don't know Uh, i I guess time will tell right right well but I know that the, the, but before the record on air, the, the buck stops here. Like I'm not trying to find, I'm not playing that game anymore. <laughs> no, we're done. <laughs> Too old. Time to, time to take John to the vet to get fixed. Uh, and All right. last week, baby. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Uh, parenthood. Love it. It's so uh, conservation, uh, like Angie said, least concern now there's over 5 million alligators in the United States alone. Uh, 1.3 of those are in Florida, but again, the Chinese alligators critically endangered. So just got to keep our eyes on them, but that would lead us into, you know, anybody out there fighting for those, 
those critically endangered alligators. Yes, Chris. Once again, the Chinese alligator is in desperate need of our help uh, and our attention. It's where I spend actually a lot of time prepping this podcast, learning about them. Uh, and so there's a few organizations that have taken note. Uh, the first one is the Wildlife Conservation Society. And they do a lot of good work in trying to help establish a captive breeding population uh, and then re-release them in the wild. And also, of course, securing um, good habitat, safe habitat for them to be released in the wild and working with Chinese partners and stakeholders in order to do that, all the while educating locals in the area about the importance of Chinese alligators and why uh, they should help conserve them. So we've highlighted the Wildlife Conservation Society before on this podcast. You should follow them on Instagram, like them on Facebook. Chris will put up the link about the Chinese alligators on our show notes. So uh, please check that out. And I always want to give a, a big shout out to Corbin Maxey again uh, for all of his great educational wildlife. I know that a lot of his work with reptiles reaches thousands and thousands of people and gets them excited about caring about American alligators and then snapping turtles and other wildlife. And we definitely need more conservation heroes and wildlife warriors like him out there. So, and he's super entertaining. So yes, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll put some absolutely. of his links on our website as well. Yep. Yep. Well, welcome back mom. So thanks for, for finding the energy. Uh, but thank you, you know, everybody for listening. We will be back. You know, Angie's getting back in the saddle. So, you know, as long as uh, baby Maddox keeps sleeping through the night. Yes. Keep having Angie back. Yes. And it was, <laughs> yeah, those first oh, Chris, months. it was so funny. I, I actually, uh, two weeks ago, I went to the horse farm. I'm like, I'm going to ride Romeo. I can't wait to ride Romeo. And then I thought, I'm like, hmm. Yes, I think I better wait till my six week checkup <laughs> before I get on a horse. Yes, I'm not, yes, I'm not yes. as cool or as young as I think I am. So on that note, but as far as the podcast, this is this is I love it, uh, and I look forward to our next species. Uh, yes. And as always, to all of our listeners out there, if there is an animal, the uh, species, an animal that you want us to cover. Please reach out to us uh, via Gmail or uh, Instagram, Facebook. And we also have an all creatures group on our Facebook page, which is very active. And we share a lot of interesting and dorky, but fun animal uh, facts and information and articles on it. So if you're looking for more things, come, come join us on that page. Yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll take care. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.